Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello, everyone. My name's Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to a brand new episode of Hi, Jinx, with me, Jinx Monsoon. My guest today is none other than the pint-sized diva or the pocket diva, depending on who you ask. It's Kristen Chenoweth. She's always been there. She's just always been there. She's always been a part of my life. Chances are she's always been a part of yours. She's a living angel on earth. There's just no other way to describe her. Um, We're going to talk about our own stints on Broadway. We're going to talk about some of her acting mic drop moments in (laughs) her illustrious career. And we're going to talk about what it means to be a person of faith navigating her love for all people. Today on Hijinks. So buckle up. Hunker down and sink your teeth into some brand new hijinks. M. Oh. M. Mom. Hello everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today we are joined by actress, singer, Broadway legend, and uh, uh, Grand High Good Witch, <laughs> Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Jinx. <laughs> How are you doing tonight? I am so good. I'm so happy to see your sweet face. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for being on. Um, I have told the story of the night I first met you on stage, off stage, multiple times. I've always wanted the chance to tell you the story of the night I first met you. Please. I feel like it's the best way. I, I know I've I've shared this story on this podcast before, so... I'm sorry to anyone who's heard this multiple times, but for me, this feels like a rite of passage. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. 
we were in Dublin, Ireland on a tour and we were all just like having an after hours, after show drink with all the local queens. We have already taken our makeup off and stuff and everyone's, you know, this is after a long night of touring and gigging. And there was a bartender who kept coming back and bringing drinks, who was a petite young woman with blonde hair piled on top of her head in a big bun. And we had all joked that she kind of looked like Kristen Chenoweth. So <laughs> later that evening, when my best friend turns to me and says, I need you to stay calm, but Kristen Chenoweth is behind you. I said, that's so funny. I've seen the bartender. I know she looks like Kristen Chenoweth. Nice try. Then I turn around <laughs> and it was you, the <laughs> Kristen Chenoweth. <laughs> and when I saw you, my vision blurred, my knees weakened, and I thought I was going to faint. I didn't, but I was I was pretty convinced it was going to happen. <laughs> Um, what was that <laughs> night from your end? <laughs> okay, so I was there to get an honorary doctorate or an award from Oxford in, du in Dublin. Uh -huh. And I said, I want to go see the drag queens. <laughs> I just thought, I want to go see the Dublin drag queens. And my sister was like, okay. So we pile in, we pile in the Uber and we go to like this area where, the, you know, this one bar where y'all all were. And I walked in and I see you. And the, from my viewpoint, and there were some other queens there that were amazing that I love. But from my view, viewpoint, I was like, and I think even like I was kind of led up to you, you know, <laughs> and then you turned around. And I think, as I recall, we both screamed. Yeah. I mean, it was it was very surreal because, you know, it, of all places, backstage no. at this drag bar in Dublin, Ireland. But it's just, you know, life is serendipitous and beautiful like that. And the story goes on, and this is the part where I'm kind of nervous, but I have to just like, I have to commit. I have to follow through. No. Um, whenever I've told the story, this is how it goes on. Okay. Later in the evening, there was a moment where you and I were together kind of separate from everyone else. Mm -hmm. And I was just kind of sitting there and I was kind of bashful. I didn't know what to like have a conversation with you about. And I can't even remember how we started talking to each other, but you said, Jinx, you have a gift and I want you to protect that gift. And um, and I looked you in the eyes and I was like, I absolutely will. Yes, thank you. But I had always hated it. And I've always been vocal about how much I hate when like people go, my instrument, my gift about yes. their voice. Yes. But from that moment on, I took the phrase seriously. Because if Kristen Chenoweth says, protect your gift, yes. that's like, that's like... <laughs> That's like the Pope saying, don't eat fish on Friday or whatever the fuck. <laughs> All I know is, oh, I totally remember that. And I think I complimented either your shoes or costume or something. I, I was like, I really want artists, and that's what you are, to take care of themselves. Because I, I want people to do what they love to do for as long as they can. 
Yeah. It brings so much people joy. And also it brings you joy, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted you to do that. So I'm glad you took it seriously because I meant it. I hope, <laughs> I hope it seemed like I meant it because I did. I really did. Oh, it absolutely did. And, you know, it's like, I'm, uh, uh, you know, I'm a drag queen. I've had my party days. My 20s are behind me. I got to say, for my first time, you know, doing a Broadway show, uh, eight shows a week is no joke. So anyone listening who has aspirations of being a live entertainer, um, has Broadway ambitions, when Kristen says your gift, <laughs> it's you have to treat it like that to even get through an eight show week. And I mean... Let's talk about the show that I think most significantly brought you into my ears at a very young age. And, you know, it's quite the show. Um, Wicked, you played Glinda or yes. Galinda, depending on the point in the show. You're um, right. <laughs> um, I, cannot, I cannot tell you, like, as a drag performer, you know, the songs that we choose to perform to are so important to us and become so important to us. So to be able to like talk to the person whose voice that we've been lip syncing to for, for years. Yes. Um, what, what was, I mean, I can't really ask you what was wicked like, but <laughs> that's like such a big question. But, it is, but I get what you mean. Like, mm-hmm. I bet I know where you're going with this. I think, you know, just like you had people like me and others that you listened to, I did too. And remember, I had done Charlie Brown and won a Tony for it, and it closed. And I'd done Annie the Movie, and I, but I still wanted that Broadway show. I wanted my Les Mis. I wanted my Phantom. Yeah. And I just, you know, I'm a big prayer person. You know, I love yeah. God. So I was praying, God, if you could just give me that one show that people will have heard of, it would be amazing. And when we first got the reading, when I first got the, Stephen called me and wanted me to do Glinda, it was so not Glinda and Elphaba. It was really Elphaba Fiera. And Madame Morrible as the kind of like the MC opened the show. And um, Glenda was just a side character of a roommate that comes in and sings this fabulous song that Stephen said, I mm. only hear your voice in it. I wrote it for you. And we did the first reading and he came and he goes, this is going to be different. It's going to grow. And I said, okay. You know, and then we did the second reading and there was more. And there was a song between the gr- two girls at school and, it sort of morphed into what you see today. It wasn't me saying, oh, I need a bigger part. Um, in fact, when Wicked came around to do the show, for real, I've been offered West Wing. And I thought, what do I do here? What do I do here? Because I loved the West Wing. Um, and my gut, the one that you have as an artist, the one that many artists listen to, said to me, there's going to be plenty of times to do other things, but this is it. Mm-hmm. And when we opened it in San Francisco, Jinx, I knew it was going to hit. I didn't know how it would be critically because I knew there were some holes in it a little bit, but mm-hmm. I knew the people would love it. This, mm-hmm. this, the love stories between the two women. I mean, yes, there's a love 
story component with Fierro and yeah. mean old Madame Morble, but the love story is between the women. Oh, absolutely. And mm-hmm. it's a celebration of friendship that, you know, we are, we've seen multiple times throughout the years, but I think this was like, in my life, this was a very early and significant celebration of female friendship. Whereas, you know, femininity in the mainstream is so often about, you know, her relationship to the man, her relationship, you know, like as a mother. Um, But like when it comes to two women, it's often about pitting them against each other. Sure, absolutely. And when a friendship can be celebrated, that's really, really special. And I got to say, like, us drag queens, when the soundtrack of Wicked became available, because, you know, I I, I was in Portland. I didn't get to see it. I've still never seen it live. I just feel like I've seen it because I've listened to the soundtrack so many times. And it's one of those soundtracks where if you listen to the soundtrack from start to finish, you know the whole story. Absolutely. You can picture it so perfectly in your mind. And I'm telling you, we were performing to yours and Adina's voices. And that was like a way we celebrated our friendship. You know, it's like, who's going to be the Glinda in my Defying Gravity tonight? Like, I need a sister here, you know? Yes, yes. and that's what, that was one of the reasons I was drawn. We could have a lot of the themes I love, friendship. Forgiveness, mm-hmm. love. It had all those, which is what I look for when I do a show. Mm-hmm. Um, and this had, you know, my character in that had a, an arc that I was looking for too, as well. Like she starts out really, she's the wicked one. Mm-hmm. It's what makes her good. It's what makes her good, the transition. So I loved playing that. And I didn't know that it would become the juggernaut that it is today. <laughs> so happy. And and doing eight shows a week. Let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, of Chicago, and I know, I know what that is um, as well. And I want to just tell you, A, I can't wait to see you in it. Mm-hmm. And B, when you said it is no joke. For sure, it's no joke. Like I'm facing doing another Broadway show next year. But there is also something besides living like a nun and doing mm-hmm. mine, doing mine. Um, there's also something so gratifying. And when you get done, Jinx, you're going to look back and go, I mm-hmm. did that. I actually mm-hmm. did that. Yeah. Aren't you excited? I, I mean, I, I've said it so many times, but I am having the time of my life. I'm so happy. I, I, you know, it just. People love you in it. They love you in it. Well, I am, I'm, I, it's just been such a privilege. You know, it's a show that's run so long that mm-hmm. I, I, there's a lot of freedom and there's a lot of, um, excuse me, there's a lot of room to play. And, because no one's stressed out, you know, <laughs> like yeah. the entire cast and crew just has like a certain kind of ease and comfort. So when I came in, I, of course, was a bundle of nerves because this was my first time performing on this 
platform, you know, and um, in so many ways, my brain was saying, it's all been leading to this, you know, but I'm also, I'm also trying to practice just letting each moment just be exactly what it is, you know, not put the weight of my whole life onto one performance, but rather the scope of the whole performance and I'm glad. I'm glad. That's the <laughs> gift you're giving yourself too. Yeah. Cause it, it it has just it's been incredible. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Kristen, you have not only appeared on stage multiple times in multiple soundtracks, um, you are the pint-sized diva, yes? <laughs> yes, or pocket diva, depends on who's talking. <laughs> Who you're asking. Um, you've also acted in countless television shows, movies. I I feel like if you are someone who grew up in the 90s watching sitcoms, as I did, Kristen Chenoweth was everywhere. You were on Frasier for a moment. Um, (laughs) uh, Oh my gosh, I feel like I had a whole list in my brain planned before this phone call started. Now I'm looking at you. They've all gone out of my head, but... I've done a lot of television. I mean, between West Wing and Glee and GCB and uh, it, it goes on. I can't even remember. Pushing Daisies. Pushing, Pushing Daisies. Daisies. Hello. That was my favorite. <laughs> um, I was trying to, like you, I feel like you've just always been there in my life. But yes, Wicked was the juggernaut for a long time. But now um, we've got Schmigadoon. Uh, <laughs> I watched it pretty much from start to finish in a van ride through the UK countryside when we were on a cabaret tour. Um, so such an incredible show. And I'm so excited for season two. Uh, the photos have just been released of you as Mrs. Lovett. You look incredible. Um, what has this project been like for you? Um, it looks like you're having a blast. <laughs> we are because I kind of liken it to SNL, but for music theater. We are a troupe of us who did season one, um, which is uh, all of the golden age, er, golden era age musicals and are tipping our head to that. And that was incredible playing Mildred. I mean, she was just a tight, tight ass, you know, (laughs) fun to play. And then, of course, you have that incredibly long, incredibly long patter song that I had to do in one take. That was 
really challenging and also incredibly fun and loved it. And this season is called Schmigadoon season two, but it's Schmicago. So we're going on to different eras, um, one that you you understand very well now. So it's the 60s and 70s, you know, Sondheim, Schwartz. And in this uh, season, I get to play... um, Definitely Miss Lovett, but I'm playing a combo platter. I think I'm the only one in the cast. Um, I'm also playing uh, Miss Hannigan. So uh, Miss Hannigan, Miss Lovett, imagine if they were melded together, uh, is, is who I am. Yeah. Do it's you know so- every drag queen? It, it's going to be another era of every drag queen performing to your voice because oh. that sounds like, I mean, I sing live mostly these days. But if I still lip synced, I would be so, I, I'm going to just have to bring back lip syncing for my act because this sounds right up my alley. You're going um, to do, have to do, there's a great song. Well, there's Mrs. Lovett Sondheim-esque, very difficult, but fun. Worst <laughs> brats, uh, it's called uh, Worst Brats in Town. And then, <laughs> you know, and then there's, this is just, it's, it was so fun because Alan Cumming is is Sweeney esque mm-hmm. and I love it esque. And then we have a I have an orphanage and it goes on. I can't give it away, but it's it's fun. It sounds like I mean that is like so incredibly up my alley. Um, Kristen, I've brought it up multiple times, but um I think it's so powerful the the voices we hear growing up, the voices who kind of like direct the way we understand music or the way that we access music. Mm-hmm. Um, for musical theater nerds, it's like those stories that like penetrate through whatever device that we're listening to it on and it like touches the inside of us and we feel like how did this person I don't even know knows my soul um (laughs) I get it (laughs) what were the voices um like that for you growing up what were the singers and performances that inspired you I mean for sure I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Carol Burnett um Mm -hmm. uh was just at her we did a special for her 90th birthday the other night that'll air on her birthday on CB, on NBC. And that was so cool to be there with her and Julie Andrews, another voice that I, that I heard. And I under, I came to understand through Julie that you could be an incredible soprano and also be incredibly funny. Yeah. And, and Carol is, you know, at Dolly Parton for sure. Um, and Sally Field. I'm, I'm, I'm all over the map for sure. <laughs> For sure, Judy. But um, there's a Christian singer named Sandy Patty. So I'd have to go with those top, those top five, and not to include a special a special check mark with Madeline Kahn. So you can see they're all there's something they all have in common, which is humor. Yeah. Humor. I love that. I love that. Yeah, you are. Uh, you have a master's as an opera singer you're like a bona fide opera singer but we know you as a broadway diva and your voice is you know like it's incredible it's objectively incredible it's a superpower you are a superhuman we are lucky to have the grace of a demigod which reminds me you were fantastic on american gods we can circle back to that but um you know i 
I love singing. It brings me so much joy. And to be a good singer, you mentioned living like a nun. You know, I'm like fully in the throes of an eight show week. So I'm like, I do the same thing every day. It's my, I wake up with my juice routine and then I handle any work that day, but I'm trying to take it easy until showtime. Then it's warm up, do the show and then go home and go right back to just like taking it easy. Um, And it's like, and I'm very, very happy because I'm very content in the work. But you sacrifice a lot, you know, and what makes the sacrifice worth it for you? Because your voice has, (laughs) it is like a laser guided missile, Miss Chenoweth. And I'm sure you have it insured somehow. (laughs) Um, Well, first of all, thank you. I think. (laughs) We each of us has our challenge, right? Like, you know how much rest you need. I think for me, especially when I'm concertizing, which I do a lot, which I'm doing right now, because I don't just sing music theater and I do legit as well, opera and and our American art and country and all of it that I love. Mm-hmm. I, that's the challenge for me is to keep all of them going. And so therefore that means a lot of silence. Um, and I love to talk, so it's really hard. Mm. Um, but especially when I'm getting on a plane, I was doing the COVID dance long before COVID with the mask and the hand sanitizer. Mm-hmm. Like I was doing that already. I used to wear latex gloves. Um, I still wear like a little furry just because I'm, I'm a little bit of a germaphobe, mm-hmm. but I have to get like eight hours of sleep. That's been the dragon that I chase. It's really hard because when this rests the throat, everything else falls into place for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Another challenge for me is finding time to like warm up the body, finding time to really get back in shape. And because I'm on, on a kind of constant tour a lot, I, I, it's easy to let that go and just be concentrating on the voice. But as you know, the whole instrument is the, is the body, the voice, the mind, the spirit, um, finding time to just chill and, and forgive yourself to, for not having to do something all the time. Yeah. Um, but I still study. I warm up my, I have a pretty high work, work, work ethic for myself. Um, I still warm up, you know, this, this voice, this instrument is just like going to the gym. Mm-hmm. So I've got to keep it in shape. And that's the hardest part. And the flying, you know, I'm sure uh-huh. you know, you're traveling and flying. It's like your body takes a beating a little bit. And that's why we get paid because we travel, right? That's why we get yeah get the money, but <laughs> also at what cost. So it's a constant um, look, look at work-life balance, which I suck at. I'm trying to get better because <laughs> I really think that's important. Um, but I am I still have that great desire to be great. And I don't mean fame. I, I mean to be great at, at what I do yeah. and inspire myself and inspire others to be great at what they do. And all of that just comes into play of what's what are you willing to sacrifice? Yeah. And the sacrifice has been weddings, funerals, graduations. Um, but I know my family and my closest friends know that I'm there. When push comes to shove, like yeah. I'm there. And now with FaceTime, it makes it a little bit easier. But has it been a sacrifice? Yes. But because I do feel it's I didn't get the gift to you know, 
be a great driver or an accountant or I got this gift and this has requirements Mm -hmm. physically and I I want to keep doing it so the sacrifice has been well worth it has it been hard sometimes absolutely and Dolly Parton sings this song about that very thing called sacrifice you should Mm -hmm. listen to it um it's all about that and but if not us who love to do it then who you know then who yeah you know um I, I've been thinking a lot about um, the show on the 20th century, which um, <laughs> favorite. Um, you mentioned Madeline Kahn. Um, uh, she's on the original soundtrack of on the 20th century. Um, there's a song, Repent, originally sung by Imogene Coca is the one yes. I'm most familiar with. Yes. Um, And I've been thinking about it a lot lately because I'm 35. I'm kind of loving just giving way to the lifestyle of an eight-show week. I kind of love it. You know, like, if you had asked me to do this 10 years ago, I would have been like, you want me to stop going out and partying? And, uh, you know, like, so there's this line in the song Repent that I keep thinking about. And it's like, until the night I saw the light and heard salvation's call, I'm so glad I didn't hear it until I'd done it all. You know, I'm so glad that I did that in my twenties. So now when I'm sitting around, you know, resting my voice, playing video games, instead of being out with my drag sisters at the club, you know, stuff in dollars and G strings and stuff. I do like have the memories, you know, I, I, I did the fun stuff, but um, it is definitely like, you know, I, I'll, I'll be candid with you. Um, a big thing that makes me terrified of missing a show in my limited run mm-hmm. is I know from doing the stage door signing every night that people are tr- flying in from across the country from Thank you different countries, you know, and I just want to make sure, especially, you know, like with the, with the state of the world, you know, when, when these um, audience members have treated themselves to a moment of levity and joy, I want to make sure I'm there for that. So it has definitely felt like, um, you know, well, well worth the sacrifice. (laughs) That you touched on that. I always think of that too. Like there's some little girl, little boy that they, this is their first Broadway show maybe ever. And I want to show up and I kind of get mad when I'm like a little under, I'm like, dang it. Cause I want the best. Mm -hmm. And you do have to forgive yourself to know that not every show is going to be like, you know, but you, you, you show up and you do the very best you can for that day. Mm -hmm. And I'm just so glad that you've had this experience, Jinx, because there is a a, a misinterpretation uh, of music theater and, sh- and Broadway that we just show up, we give our jazz hands, and it's, it happens. There's so much more skill to it than that. And that's why um, it's sweet when, when people say, I want to do Broadway one day, but when they actually can, like you, who actually can do it, we have a lot of respect for that. You know, <laughs> as Broadway people have a lot of respect for that. And I, you know, again, 
it, it separates the men from the boys. I hate to say it. The wheat from the chaff. Um, you know, I've just I, I really have been. I I absolutely love the cast. I love the show. I've always loved Chicago. Um, but I'm also very excited to take this into other avenues of work, you know, like I, um, not just like my other avenues of live entertainment, but when you're like, when you're open-minded to letting one experience inform another, you know, everything plays into the next project you might do. I want to talk to you about American Gods, which, um, your performance as a, a, Ostara. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. One of my favorite reveals ever in television. You just turning around that pile, that giant pile of hair, your Easter bonnet fascinator. You're so stunning. Um, you. You've played a lot of mystical, magical characters. Let's talk about Astara. <laughs> I loved her. Um, and Brian Fuller, who wrote Pushing Daisies, said, you know, when it first when he first started writing it, he said, look, I want you to play Easter. And I said, I read the book. He said, read the book, but remember, it's described very differently. And she was described so differently in the book. And I said, I can't play Easter. I'll be I'll be shot in Times Square. <laughs> People that love the book, you know, they want to. And there was a little uproar at first, at first. And then. When the sh when my episode aired, it it was like oh, it, people really opened themselves up to this version. And I think one of the things that I love, first of all, I love Brian Fuller, and um, one of the things that he did so beautifully here is, you know, all the Jesuses that he included mm -hmm. was inclusive with, and and whether you want to say the devil or not, with the other two knuckleheads um, mm -hmm. in the, in the show, which are incredible. And just getting to have the vision of how she would look. Um, I wanted that hair to be almost ram-like. Mm -hmm. Because is she is she um, of God? Is she Wiccan? Is she, mm -hmm. is she the devil? Like, who is she? <laughs> I wanted um, that all around me. So you're kind of always guessing about her. Mm -hmm. And... You know, I don't know what Brian always does this, but I'm working with bunnies. Last Pushing Daisies I worked with, let's see, pigs, horses. Um, mm -hmm. He always has me working with, and I had a bunch of bees, a bunch of bees around me in um, as Ostara. But I love what he did with, with having all the Jesuses, the albino Jesus, mm -hmm. the black Jesus, the Latin Jesus, mm -hmm. the, you know, just the normal Jesus. And mm -hmm. that also goes into how do we see God? How do we see Jesus? And couldn't he look like, maybe it's this, or what about this? Or maybe he's all of us, which I love. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was really interesting to get a little heat from my own Christian community. Cause I thought you are, you all are missing the point. There's people that I really like to preach. Like mm -hmm. I love to talk about my faith and stuff, mm -hmm. but this was a great way to talk about, like, we are all 
a little bit of everything. And that's the basis of Christianity, I believe in, for sure. I mean, that's no doubt. But I just love the way Brian did it. And to be in such a beloved show about a book that people freaked out about. And then the heartbreak for me was the next season I was to do three or four episodes. And I was so excited about it. And um, Brian left the show. And that's like my my person, you know, he's like uh-huh. person. And when he, <laughs> when he leaves the show, I'm not stick. I'm, I'm gone because mm-hmm. that's my loyalty. Yeah. And they were like, no, no, you know, here's some more money. And I was like, no, um, <laughs> you know, not all of Hollywood is just about that. It's really about for me relationships and yeah. how I'm going to be able to lay my head on my pillow at night and stuff. But I saw the, the beautiful show that they continued and I was so proud. I like love Ricky. I loved everybody in it, but I was glad I got to um, end the season with that. I don't know if you remember the shot where she's turning the earth black. Oh yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> I fought so hard. So Brian was in the writing room and there was a shot where she's, and and they were just going to shoot it from the front. I said, no, 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 bring the crane in. You've got to have her with earth below her. You've got to, I mean, yeah. uh, that's why I took his part. Like you got to, and they did it. And, and the whole look of it was gorgeous. Just like pushing daisies had its look, uh-huh. this had its look too. And so that's Brian Fuller. Yeah, absolutely. You are a queer icon, um, and it's not just for one thing. It's not just for Glinda the Good Witch. Um, it's not just for, you know, your your impact on Broadway, your impact on film or television. It's all of it, and you know, you've you've brought up your faith, and this is, I, I hate to put you on any kind of spot, but um, how do you how do you navigate? being a person of faith currently, while faith is being, I would dare say, uh, bastardized as a means of, uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah, to spread hatred when I think that that's not the message of faith and (laughs) that's not the message I receive from people like you who celebrate their faith with positivity rather than with an iron fist, let's say. (laughs) Um, The navigation has not always been fun. It's been sometimes hurtful and hard. Nobody wants to be judged by their own. Mm -hmm. Um, And also misinterpreted by the group that loves them. I, Mm know that in the third grade an instance happened with my friend Jackie and I talk about this story a lot because it's when I first remember having like this need to help mm-hmm. she was being called a dyke and like beat up and stuff she was my friend we walked to school together and all, all bets were off though when she bought my same coat from Target then I was like girl <laughs> are we friends or are we friends anyway um <laughs> but I came home and I asked my mom why people were calling her that. And my mom explained to me, it's, what's that? I said, what's that word mean? She said, it's when two women like each other. I said, like, I like Jackie. She said, no, like, like you like Joey or whatever. And I said, oh, okay. 
I mean, you know, I'm in the Bible Belt at this point. Mm -hmm. And she goes, in in our house, we won't use that word. In our house. Mm -hmm. We will be friends with who you want to be friends with. And that won't be tolerated. So a couple days later, I promptly went up and people were kicking dirt on her, I remember. And I just went in. I I don't know what I thought I was going to do. I mean, I was always the brunt, right? I just went in, stop it, stop it right now, you know? Mm -hmm. And I knew then, like, there was something interesting when you said, and it's what I grew to came to understand too, when you said Jesus and, mm-hmm. and also in the same words, LGBTQIA, um, why that's so offensive, I couldn't understand. Mm-hmm. So I, it was no accident that, you know, my best friends, a lot of them were gay, are gay and trans and everything else. And mm-hmm. I never... I guess I just thought, what would Jesus do or what would he say? And that's what I go off. And for the life of me in the Bible, I've looked and you just can't find Jesus going, I love everyone except gays. And I don't like the trans and I don't like this, but I love everyone. And, you know, but Jesus didn't have that. You know, he loves me the way I'm built. And is it a sin that I'm 4'11"? And (laughs) what if that was a sin? I couldn't change that. That's how he put me together. Mm -hmm. And so that's the way I feel about this community. And it's not just Broadway. It's been since I was a little kid and I will be that way till I die. And I think that's probably why I really, when I saw Tammy Faye have um, a gay person on her show for the very first time, who was happened to be battling AIDS at the time, which was so scary in the eighties. But I thought she's, she doesn't care and she's doing a Christian TV show. And so I just went with that. I just went with that. And that's, my authentic truth and people judge me for it. Sure. But that's okay. They can. But you know, just like what you're saying, Oh my gosh, it's kind of, it's so perfect. Just like what you're saying, you saw Tammy Faye have this moment and we've now seen this moment depicted in documentary. We've seen this moment depicted in film by beautiful performances, I must say. And this inspired you and this is, you know, something you took into your life and hence your career. And you have no doubt then inspired other young artists who, you know, navigate being a person of faith and yes. having so many people out there telling you what that means, which is contradictory to, you know, how your heart feels. I just keep thinking about like, you know, Lately, I keep thinking about how the theme of every movie, the theme of every like wonderful TV show or movie or musical or whatever it is, is usually like love who you love, um, be yourself, like celebrate your differences. It's like from X-Men to the fox and the hound dog to... (laughs) You know, like the nutty professor, you know, like it's every movie. So then how do we turn around and turn on each other? Like when we as a society celebrate togetherness and acceptance in all of our art, how do we then turn around and do the opposite? It it still it, baffles me. And me too, Jinx. And also what scares me, and this is one of the reasons why I really speak out on it a lot. And I get disappointed in my Christian brothers and sisters 
um, that are judgmental. There's a lot of them who are not, by the way. Uh, by the way, they're out there. They're like yeah. me. Um, it's not always to speak easy to speak up, though. I think what I'm hating in, to see is the suicide rate go up. I don't. Yeah. I started seeing that, you know, in my home state. And also, you know, I worked with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir for so many years, I wouldn't sing with them. And then um, when they agreed to some of my stipulations to do the special and having, you know, Broadway Cares, Equity Fights, AIDS up there and me being able to talk about, you know, love and acceptance, not tolerance, acceptance of all. Mm-hmm. And they agreed to it. And then not long after that, accepting their their young, especially men back into the church of being allowed to. Now, it's not perfect yet. I'm looking to make little steps, little steps mm-hmm. that I can say, good, good. Good, because I want to leave the earth in a better place than I saw, than I found it. And um, I want to continue on people like Tammy Faye. And I want to continue on making kids feel that they're not wrong, that they're going to help, that they have to live an inauthentic life to be, to fit in into a normal, quote unquote, lifestyle. And I won't have it. I won't have it. And so, as long as I'm here and I love singing at church and I, I, my pastor on Sunday had a great message ca- called love wins because love always does win. But why, why, why do we make it so hard on ourselves to make that win is beyond me. And even with lawmakers and sort of what some of um, the community is facing right now, I'm just like, do we have to make a law? Like, really? Do we have to spend money to tell people they're wrong? Um, or that <sighs> ugly or sinners or they're going to hurt children. It's um, it's actually fascinating to me and also very harmful to society. So um, as long as I'm here, um, I will do that. And I get asked a lot of time, why does it matter so much to you? You're not, you're not gay. You're not trans. You're not, I'm like, it matters because I'm human. I'm a human yeah. and it should matter to you because you're a human too, sir. <laughs> Anyway, enough of my preaching. No, I I mean, like, Kristen, that was so beautifully worded. That was just absolutely perfect. There's no, I mean, like, I kind of feel like let's move on to a cheerier topic because we're not going to top what you just said. That was, <laughs> I mean, um, you, uh, you're just such a lovely soul and it just shows through in everything that you do. And, um, you know, the first time I met you, I almost fainted. The second time was backstage at, um, the Christmas Queens or a a drag, uh, drag Christmas. Can't remember. It was some combination of words. (laughs) I'm always fascinated at y'all's makeup. I really just don't like, how can I achieve the eye makeup? Like I'm well, so everything we're doing to our face is to um, trick the eye into thinking we look more like you. Um, <laughs> um, I, I just, I'm, I'm so excited for my listeners to hear you speak on everything we've spoke on. Um, and I have to imagine that if they are wanting to hear more of your anecdotes, like we've been um, talking today, um, they can pick up your book, 
I'm no philosopher, but I got thoughts. Many meditations for saints, sinners, and the rest of us. Um, <laughs> you wrote a book. It wasn't enough that you um, have a master's in opera. Um, you're, what is it, three-fourths of the way to an EGOT? <laughs> I'm like, hurry up before I die. <laughs> um, can you tell us a bit about your book? <laughs> yes, I love that you brought it up. Thank you so much. Um, no this is my third book. The first one it was in 2009, A Little Bit Wicked. It was a biography, and I loved it. It was hard. Um, it did great. New York Times bestseller. It was awesome. And then mm -hmm. I wrote a children's book at the beginning of the shutdown, and then that was so fun. I thought, well, what else can I write? And then I was, what? what I was blank um, started. I'm a big journaler and I started looking at my old journals and as I journal and maybe this, this could be something here for a book or just little topics I take, you know, I have each chapter is thoughts on something thoughts on love, connection, harmony, screwing up um, loss, all of it. And I want people to read it knowing that, the misconception here is that it's not always happy, pretty, but it's alive. And mm. how the roller coaster of life has taught me a lot of things, hard, how I've screwed up, um, the funny things that the way I look at life that cracked me up. I don't know if it cracks anybody else up, but it kind of became that book. And it was meant to be an inspirational book. Um, in the bookstores, I've noticed it's under self-help <laughs> I'm like, I didn't, I didn't I was a self-help person. But, um, I'm really proud of the people that are reading it and what they're getting from it. Um, mm -hmm. There's a chapter in the book where I re talk, I, I let one of my most dark, darkest times um, in my journal, I, I printed it in the book because I wanted people to see that like, it's not just them. It's not just you, Jinx. It's not just... Mm -hmm. Tim down the street or whatever, all of us go through a lot of crap. I have anxiety and that's not something people would under think that I would have or even depression and what that looks like for me and how I handle it. And mm -hmm. Also, who's inspired me and how there's a beautiful quote in the book that I love and I live by it. Actually, it's Elizabeth um, Edwards, who was married to that politician um, many years ago. And she writes, she stood in the storm. And the, when the wind did not blow her way, she adjusted her sails. And I find myself looking at life in a little bit different way. If when you stand in the storm and you just adjust your sails a little bit, how it, it can look a little bit better. It might not be perfect or the way you imagine. And that even goes with good stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, a storm of greatness and how you handle it with grace or, you know, loving kindness. How, how are you going to deal with it? How you adjust yourselves not to, yourselves not to hurt somebody else, and the book is along those lines, and I'm I'm really really proud of it. I love uh, I've been going to Targets and Barnes and Nobles and okay. secret secretly um, filming myself sign copies that are there, and then I say send tell me who gets this random signed copy, and the people they're just buying them up, and that's that's just a hobby now. I love first of all I love Target, so I love going there and just like. I just love Target. So, and Listen, their makeup section is amazing. <laughs> I am, I am, I got it from my grandma. I'm a shopper. 
I can go into a drugstore to pick up one thing and leave there with two full bags. Listen, um, <laughs> it's about finding the balance in life. I, I hear you, Kristen. And also, um, <laughs> I go in there and I look at their lash, lash section, which is getting bigger. I'm uh-huh. like, I love finding the right lash. I'm, you know how we're always looking for the right gene? I'm looking for the right lash. I I hear you. I, I also love, um, oh my gosh, one thing that's been great, <laughs> a silver lining of some dark times is that um, there are so many new uh, smudge proof lipsticks and lip glosses and stuff because we all were wearing face masks and sometimes still are wearing face masks. So there's a silver lining. That's Kristen, a silver lining. <laughs> Kristen, I have compulsory questions I ask every guest. Are you ready to answer these compulsory questions? So ready. <laughs> the first one is always, who is your celebrity crush today? Hmm. Allison Janney. That is an amazing answer. Um, oh, I I don't know if you've seen the movie Drop Dead Gorgeous, but it is iconic. Her, okay, okay. It's so, <laughs> and Kirstie so Alley was a, a friend of mine, and mm-hmm. and though we didn't agree on everything, I loved her very much. And Cat, uh, you know, it's Kathy and Jimmy is like my bestie, but like, come on, Drop Dead Gorgeous, yeah. Allison Jane. <laughs> Um, the next question, I believe we've already touched on it's, are you spiritual? I think, um, I think we're good. (laughs) The final question is, and I love asking this to, um, actors and singers, but what's your go-to karaoke song? Gosh. The Rose. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think if I'm tired, it's basically, basically got about five Mm -hmm. notes. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's so slow that you have time to remember and plan and route your way through it so that you can win karaoke. Um, If you, (laughs) I have never felt so seen as when on Girls 5 Eva, um, that character said, well, how else would you know who wins karaoke? (laughs) It's so true. Kristen, thank you so much for being my guest today. It's just, it's a dream come true to have gotten to have this conversation with you. And it's why we started this podcast so that randomly on a Wednesday in New York, in the middle of the evening, I could just have a candid conversation with someone who has impacted my life since as far back as as far back as ma- what matters. <laughs> amen, amen, sis. And also, thank you for having me. I'm super proud of you, oh, and I can't you. wait. I can't wait to see you in the show because I am coming. <laughs> wonderful. All Have right. a wonderful rest of your night. Love you. <laughs> Love you too. Bye. Bye. And thank you all so much for listening to Hi Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday. So make sure to search for Hi Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. I always started laughing because this is a Thursday, and normally the episodes come out on Wednesday. So if you're new to the podcast, <laughs> they normally come out on Wednesday. But uh, 
and barring any unforeseen circumstances, um, you can follow me at the Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. And I'll see you next Wednesday <laughs> for some more. <laughs> Hi, Jinx. <laughs>